And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. George Grant. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, uh, Pastor Grant. Great, and it's wonderful to have you on the air with us today. I thought maybe we could talk about, at least start to talk about, uh, a recent trip that you took, and I believe it was some sort of a missions trip to Indonesia, and I would just love to know more about that. Uh, We hear about Indonesia sometimes, and I believe it has a large Muslim population, but when Neither we does. <laughs> right. actually the uh, the world's uh, largest Muslim nation by population, okay. um, it, it's a remarkable land that most of us know very little about because it's uh, tucked away in a corner of the world and is rather isolated. But Jakarta, the capital, is uh, the second largest metropolitan city in the world. It. Uh, is uh, an island nation of some 3,000 islands spread across almost uh, 2,000 miles of the southern uh, and eastern Pacific. It's, um, it, it's a nation of vast variety, and it's a fertile, fertile field for the gospel. I've been going to Indonesia now for about five years, Uh, almost every year, and we've had the opportunity to help with planting of churches as well as the launching of a a network of classical Christian schools. Uh, And I am sort of uh, the, the, the mentor for those schools, and we now have 27 schools, uh, and uh, we've got nine church plants that we've helped um, get started, and uh, each of them are independent and uh, are now largely, uh, not entirely, but largely self-supporting. And <clears throat> the result is we're really seeing incredible fruitfulness in a corner of the world that is often forgotten about. Mm. When I hear of Indonesia and I think of the large Muslim population, I think, well, maybe there's not too many inroads for the gospel. But um, your story is is um, different than that. It, it shows that Christ is working in the hearts of the people there. Amen. Amen. One, one of the, the things that, uh, that Indonesia has going for it that many of the nations in the Middle East do not is, is its wide diversity. Uh, and it's uh, it's long and varied history, um, both connections with colonialism. Uh, the Indonesian islands are what uh, the Dutch or the English used to call the Spice Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- it, because they do not have a monolithic culture and because they have so many threads that weave into the fabric of Indonesian society and life today, um, it... Uh, you don't have that sort of monolithic wall that you would have in many of the, the, the countries of the Middle East, where uh, it's so cohesive and tribally controlled and, and monolithic. So that I, I, when, when I think about missions, I always look for what I call wedge opportunities. Hmm. Where, where is the, there a place where we can find sort of a crack in a wall or a 
an, an opportunity to, to wedge into a little niche so that the gospel can go forth. And uh, that, that's how I got involved with the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, um, a very persecuted minority, persecuted by their Muslim neighbors. And so I thought, well, if, if they're being persecuted by their, their Muslim neighbors, perhaps they might be open to the gospel. Mm. And sure enough, that, that has been the case. And Kurdistan is one of those places where the gospel is running very powerfully right now. And, uh, and Indonesia, I thought, might, might um, have that same kind of opportunity. <laughs> it's, it just makes me laugh with joy from the inside out. Um, <laughs> if, 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 if a person is thinking about it helping in a short-term mission capacity, maybe on their mind would be the dangers associated with the task or, or some of the food they may have to eat or maybe some of the diseases, those very practical concerns. How did you handle that? Well, you know, um, we, my, my inroad into Indonesia was in the city of Jakarta, which is a huge metropolitan area, um, just slightly smaller than Tokyo, and parts of it are very, very backward and, and um, to you know, westernize, very frightening. But parts of it are very, very industrialized, and there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of wealth. And so I, w- I was able to actually, in Indonesia, sort of ease my way in to... Um, a, a world that uh, that has some dangers and challenges, but is uh, is not quite as remote as you might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Kurdistan was a different story. When we first started working in Kurdistan, it was just shortly after the last Gulf War. It was uh, it was still um, quite rugged and dangerous. Uh, but but even there, you know, when the when the Lord opens a door, you. You know, you have to run run through it because, truth be told, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. Mm. Um, you stray from there, and you're always in danger. Yeah, that's a very good, very good reminder. Um, we've got a break coming up. Before that break, um, just briefly, what do you go through? And it's probably a different story for each one. You've mentioned, I think, nine church plants, um, independent church plants. In this area of Indonesia, um, yeah. what do you go through as you as you plant a church there? Well, obviously, the, the starting place is to identify some key leadership, some faithful disciples uh, in in an area that uh, that are, that are really hungry for something more uh, than sort of the traditional tribal or or even uh, some of the the remnants of the old missional movements. And when, when you identify the leadership, the, the, the key then is to equip them and train them and um, provide them with a sort of missional strategy to, uh, to begin to share the gospel with their neighbors. You know, all of the logistics that we might think about in the U.S. or church plants, things like a place to meet, um, a uh, you know a, a musician and sound system and you know all of the chairs and all that none of that actually matters mm. out in the you know the frontiers of the missional world. Uh, what you need 
are faithful believers who are ready to go. And so my job is really to find them, identify their strengths and weaknesses, equip them, and then send them. Mm. It's beautiful, and it just thrills the heart. What we'll do is take a short break. On the other side of the break, maybe you can talk a little bit about the classical Christian schools, a network of these some 27 schools in Indonesia, and uh, we'll pick that up on the other side. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Paul and Timothy are gone, but the letter still remains. And the mission that was written down calls out to us today. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Dr. George Grant. We've been talking about missions to Indonesia. And Dr. Grant, you've mentioned uh, planting churches there and uh, finding some key leadership who are who are hungry and are willing to be equipped and trained and um, just to reach out to their fellow um, people there in Indonesia in, in, in basically soul winning and discipleship, spreading the gospel. Um, now I'm just wondering if we can talk a little bit about, you mentioned classical Christian schools. First of all, what is a classical Christian school, and what does that look like on the ground in Indonesia? Well, classical Christian education is what the original vision of Christian education was. Beginning in the days of Augustine, 
uh, back in the 5th century A.D., the earliest days of uh, Western civilization. And virtually all of the great universities, all of the academies, from those of Theodosius to um, uh, Gerharda Grota to uh, Jan Comenius, the schools that uh, were established in cities like Geneva and Wittenberg, they're all modeled on this uh, sort of Hebraic approach to education that we that we see in places like Deuteronomy chapters uh, chapters uh, four and six. Um, the the call is uh, to to really view all of knowledge through the lens of God's good providence and His sovereign purposes in the world, and to attempt to train children so that they have a biblical worldview, so that they approach art, music, literature, ideas, technology, uh, commerce, uh, everything from a from a biblical perspective. Um, and so classical Christian education is that old style of education. It's, uh, it's rooted in the basic academic disciplines of, of reading and writing. It uh, involves uh, language training. It's very substantive. It's the kind of thing that, say, a C.S. Lewis or a J.R.R. Tolkien would have taken for granted as just the normal approach to education. Uh, before the innovations of uh, 20th century educational pioneers like Dewey and others so radically changed education. Um, it's, uh, it, it's the old way of reading, writing, and arithmetic. So um, my, my wife and I, when we had children early on, we, we really wrestled with what it would be like to faithfully disciple our children we determined uh, very uh, shortly after having our children that we would uh, either homeschool or uh, we might, um, you know, look for some sort of academy kind of uh, thing that uh, that would be biblically based. We were sorely disappointed by virtually everything that we saw, and as I read history, I kept seeing this this pattern of substantive. Uh, reading and writing and thinking and you know wrestling with the truth from a biblical perspective and so we tried to replicate that ultimately I was able to connect with uh, some of the pioneers of classical Christian education here in the US men like Douglas Wilson who has written books uh, like recovering the lost tools of learning and um, the case for classical Christian education and uh, so as, as we began to develop that, the connection to our missional work seemed to be very natural. Um, as we worked with uh, missionaries from various countries, uh, invariably the, the hue and cry of their people and their disciples was, okay, now that we've come to Christ, and now that we begin to understand the Lordship of Christ over the totality of life, how do we actually apply that in the details of life, and in particular, how does that change the way we raise and educate and disciple our children? So, um, really, without looking for this as, as you know, some sort of purposeful missionary strategy, the Lord just caused this very natural progression. 
so that uh, now we've got uh, three classical Christian schools in northern Iraq, turning out what we pray will be the next generation of, uh, of, of leaders in that nation who have been trained to think in accordance with a biblical worldview. These are kids who come largely from Muslim families, but who are introduced to a biblical worldview and are trained to, uh, to, to know the, the, the greatest legacy of art, music, and literature that the world has ever known. And uh, they're given a, a rich taste of, of Christendom, and of course, many come to Christ and are transformed forever. Mm. And uh, we've, we've attempted to do the same thing in various other places around the world. And, and now in Indonesia, we have 27 of these classical Christian schools. Now, some of them are very, very small. You know, when I say 27 schools, uh, we, we have one school in Jakarta that's, that's huge with about 700 students, uh, another with about 300 students. But many of these are actually uh, off in remote islands, and you know, they may only have 27 or 28 students. But it's, it's a, a glorious day of small beginnings that we will not and shall not despise, that the Lord is uh, beginning the process of, of raising up a whole new generation of faithful Christian leaders for Indonesia. Mm. Well, I think that probably every parent alive that, that loves the Lord can resonate with the idea of faithfully discipling our children. Amen. Um, you know, it's, it's something that's on our hearts, and for some parents, they may not be in an area where they have the means or, you know, that there's no classical school nearby, or, or any Christian school nearby. And uh, right. how would you encourage those parents that just really don't have the means? Well, that, that's something that I think is partly the responsibility of the Church. Uh, our task in, in the Church is to make sure that every child uh, has the opportunity to be discipled faithfully, and that is going to require some, you know, substantial uh, sacrifice on on our parts. Mm. Um, but every single mom and dad, regardless of what means they have, financial or access to schools or whatever, uh, can begin to to endeavor the work of training up the child in the way that he should go. Uh, we should be teaching our children the Word of God. We should be teaching our children what it means to look at modern media uh, through the lens of faithfulness rather than simply uh, as consumers. Uh, we uh, need to introduce our children to the best of art and music and literature from a Christian perspective. And, uh, and all of that we can do. Uh, moms and, and dads can... If there's no uh, good Christian school around, they can begin the process of homeschooling. Uh, they don't have to even jump into homeschooling, you know, all at once. It can mm-hmm. be a process that takes place over the course of years. There ought to be time in the home, around the dinner table, where ideas, um, the, the, the news of the day, uh, the, the media that our children are exposed to are discussed and wrestled with in a loving and, and yet at the same time, substantive biblical fashion. 
And, you know, if, if we have, have families in remote islands in Indonesia who realize that their children need something more, and though they barely have a hut to live in, mm. they sacrifice to make sure that their child has better, surely we can do that as well. <laughs> yep, that answers the question. Um you mentioned the church and the church's responsibility. I think that there's a theme coming through here under underneath everything, and there's a theme of of um, of hope, of of a long range perspective, of, of not giving up. Um, you know the pressures of the world and 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 maybe um, some baggage we carry along regarding um, this gut feel that everything's getting worse and worse and all of that. Um, how do you view this world? I mean, it, it sounds like um, the Lord's been blessing uh, the efforts here to His praise. But but how Amen. do you how do you how do you deal with uh, how you view this world and where it's going and and God being overall that sort of thing? There's no denying that we're in a sinful world uh, where brokenness is all around us. I don't think anybody can uh, look at the newspaper. Um, I watch the evening news and not have this sinking feeling that yeah. uh, things are not as they ought to be. That's, that's realistic. It is not inappropriate for us as Christians uh, to grieve over the brokenness of our world or the waywardness of our nation. Uh, that, that's appropriate. But we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. That, that's a truth that pl- applies not just to the loss of our, our loved ones. It's a truth that applies to the whole of culture. Yes, yes, America is a mess. We know that. Our world is a mess. Of course, we know that. But the gospel is true. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we know what the end of all of this is. We also know that there are very great and precious promises for the believer, that we can rest and rely on, and that the Lord will use even our most feeble efforts. He will use that for His glory. So why on earth would we not launch into this grand adventure and see what the Lord will do? Mm. Yes, it's hard. Of course there are setbacks. Um, Obviously there's opposition and difficulty. There's never enough money. Of course. But that's that's not really an argument. That's just a part of the reality. Yeah. And once we say, okay, that's the way it is, there's not enough money, there's not enough time, I don't have enough gifts, but God has called me to this. Mm, amen. And therefore, I will rest and rely on His strength, His provision, His grace, and that alone. Mm, beautiful. Um, we've got maybe two or three minutes left, and I'm thinking maybe a couple of questions that I have yet is, one, how do you not burn out? And, and two, it seems that you need to be, and you are, I think, training others to carry on the work, because eventually we go home to be with the Lord. That's right. And how do, yeah. you, pa- how do, you, the, how do you pass the baton of, of, the, of the burden of the work uh, to the next generation? Well, you know, let, let me take the burnout question first. <laughs> the, the answer there is simply 
that we're responsible to exercise good stewardship of, over our lives. And that means making sure that we live in a way that, uh, that, that is both healthy and maximizes our gifts. And so, uh, you know, workaholism uh, in missions is no more uh, virtuous than workaholism in the marketplace. Mm. So we, we have to make sure that um, we invest ourselves in our, in our families, that, uh, that we love our families well, that we take time to rest. Uh, God gives us the Sabbath. Mm. We need to take the Sabbath <laughs> seriously. And so, uh, you know, uh, b- burnout or, or uh, versions of that inevitably happen because we do get discouraged. Yes. We, we see the Apostle Paul at times discouraged. Mm-hmm. And yet, because the gospel is true, and because God gives us good provision, um, we, we can walk through this veil of tears with joy. Part of that really addresses the second question, mm-hmm. which is um, making sure that you have faithful companions along the way that you have invested in, that you have committed the vision to, so that you know that uh, as our bodies fail, and as um, circumstances change, that the gospel vision will never be lost. Amen. My job uh, for the rest of my life is really mostly turning over to others the things that I have started, mm-hmm. uh, equipping and training them so that I can get out of the way. <laughs> That's blessed. It's a, it's a blessed view. We are at a time, if, if someone wants to contact you, if someone wants to support your work, uh, God's work that is going on through you in Indonesia or in Iraq, how would they get a hold of you? How would they support the work? Well, they can find us easily at kingsmeadow.com. Um, that's our, our primary website. But we have lots and lots of other outlets, social media and mm. Facebook pages and all of the rest. But kingsmeadow.com is a, a real simple way to find us and to learn more about the work that we're doing. Mm. Well, Dr. Grant, you're a very busy man, and we're honored to have you on the program today. Thank you very much. Thank you, my brother. Bless you. And God bless you. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. A quick reminder, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.